Value Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition their business on their terms. Our mission was born from the lessons we've learned from over 100 business transactions, which fuels our desire to share our experiences and wisdom so you can succeed. Now, here's your host, CEO of Mastery Partners, Tom Bronson. Hi, this is Tom Bronson, and welcome to Maximize Business Value, a podcast for business owners who are passionate about building long-term sustainable value in their businesses. In this episode, this is the third part of a series on sales and growth strategies, and we're going to have more uh, beyond this. We've already had two the last couple of weeks. We have more coming up. But in this episode, we're going to continue this mini-series on growth strategies, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Debbie Morizic. She's the president of The Sales Company. Debbie and I are both members of Business Pros, which is a Dallas-based organization of professionals dedicated to educational opportunities for business owners, just like this. Debbie recently presented at an educational program for Business Pros, and I knew instantly that I wanted to have her on this podcast. Not only does Debbie absolutely love empowering people to sell and achieve more, she's also a faculty member for the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Initiative, a great program for sure. You should look into that. And she was named one of the 2020 and 2021 Most Powerful Business Leaders in Dallas by DCEO Magazine. I'm so excited to have her on board today. Welcome to Maximize Business Value, Debbie. Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for inviting me today to talk about my favorite subject. I look forward to it. Awesome. Well, our our folks need to plug into this because they're (laughs) going to get lots of wisdom. So tell us about the sales company. You bet. So we uh, started our career actually selling semiconductors for Texas Instruments. So working with a lot of technology, technical people and all. And one of the things that I learned in doing that was a lot of people brilliant ideas, but they could not sell. So they would lose their businesses. You know, they'd have some genius invention or whatever, but they would lose it. So I started doing, I so I had done sales for my whole career, inside, outside sales, even customer service when I began. And so I started doing consulting only for technology companies. And fast forward 20 plus years today, uh, we do all industries now. And it has just been um, just so invigorating and fun and every day is different. And so that is what we do is we help other people be able to sell in a way that they can sell. Yeah, it's a, you said a mouthful. So many entrepreneurs are out there experts at building the widget, right? Um, they know they're, they're technologists. They know uh, how to build better uh, uh, products uh, faster and that kind of thing. And so, um, but a lot of times the sales um, strategy, the sales uh, element uh, escapes them. Uh, there's a lot of that in the consulting uh, industry mm-hmm. as well. Folks that are really good at their craft who are not great at, at selling their products and motivating others. So you've told us a little bit about your background uh, selling uh, semiconductors, but but why did you start the sales company? What, what was the impetus for that 20 years ago? 
was because in seeing these people that, you know, were so passionate about what they did, you know, they had used their money, excuse me, their grandmother's money, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, people, there was VC money, but not like we see it today. And so to see them just, it was their dream. It's what they wanted to do. And because of this one thing that I thought was like, everybody could do, you know, it was, you know, like I can, I can do this. And so I was uh, at the time, right before uh, I got into consulting, I had a manufacturer's rep company and we represented companies all over the world. And that market, I was selling, like I said, printed circuit boards, semiconductors was getting so competitive that we were spending months every year negotiating those darn contracts and getting less and less money. And it's like, you know, you just get to a point sometimes and it's like, I think it's time to do something different. And I just really believe that I could do this. And uh, because I, you know, I care about other people and I loved, loved the technology business. And so that's what made me take the leap. And I've been so grateful that I did. Now you don't only work in technology, though. Oh right? no, no. Today I work in everything. In fact, I tell a story on a good friend of mine who is the kind of friend that you call when you've done something really great. I mean, like really great, and they go, "Yes, this is great. We'll have champagne," you know, kind of thing. So that kind of friend. But that kind of friend called me one day and said, "You know," and and I mean, like serious as a heart attack. You know, like you know what? you help all these other people. I don't know why you don't help me. And she's just serious. And I was like getting teary, like, okay, well, I, I will never say anything about that again. And she's like, no, you just need to help me. And I thought, what are you talking about? Because I don't do your industry. And she's like, that is nonsense. Sales is sales is sales. And you need to get over here and help me. And I said, well, okay, I'll come do it as a beta you know, could we survey your people when we finish, you know, to see if, you know, they appreciate it or it helped them or whatever. And, and like they say, the rest is history. Wow. That's, yeah. uh, that's a good friend. That's a good I, friend. I was good. That's what I was going to tell you. And that is the best kind of friend. And in fact, one of the people that was on her team, I still work with from time to time today. No kidding. Oh, that's he's awesome. brilliant. And he was just young and just didn't know. Well, you know, um, <clears throat> in my last company, um, uh, I uh, took on a group of investors that gave me a, uh, a chief operating officer who said, you know, we just have to build great products because they'll sell themselves. You know, the, we, we just, uh, they'll, they'll go out there and, and sell themselves. And, and, uh, and it always frustrated me that be in a conversation with him because sales is a craft like like any other craft you know you you work to hone the skills uh, that you have as a sales professional it's process it's about all of these things uh, that you have to do but it is uh, really uh, in my opinion it's a it's a learned skill you know you always hear those uh, folks who say oh a natural born salesperson i i just don't buy that right i mean uh, people have the gift of gab 
uh, perhaps, uh, but sales is not about uh, talking. It's about listening and understanding and, and, and helping others. So where do you land on that equation? Is, is sales uh, a natural occurrence or is sales something that you no, learn? No, I, I say that it's both an art and a science. You know, there really is a science to it. There is a process to it, but the art to it is you. And that's why when I said earlier, working with other people to help them be great at sales the way they can do it and perfect their art so they can do sales. You know, people call me sometimes and say, okay, Deb, I've got this great person and, you know, I want everyone to be like George. I will never take that engagement. And I tell them flat out, you don't want everybody to be like George. All your clients are not like George's clients. You need to have, if you're having a team, if you've grown to that level, you need to have different people that can sell to different kinds of people. And I do believe it is an art. I, I couldn't agree with you more completely. And and salespeople are no different from all other people. They all have to be managed differently. They all have to be, uh, they're, they're all motivated differently. Uh, certainly, you want salespeople that are, that have some degree of money motivation. If there's a, a sales compensation uh, factor in there, but uh, but uh, something that that would work great for me probably wouldn't work for you, uh, and and vice versa. Uh, but that goes out throughout the organization. I hadn't really thought about that because uh, because that's a frequent request. I want everybody to sell like George does. Yeah. Well, but but George's clients aren't all of the clients that are out there. Right. Absolutely. And the other thing you said is about people being money motivated. One of the things that I think people miss when they're hiring is to ask you, you know, what are your goals? Not, not I'm, I'm not talking about leading you on. I'm just ask you what your goals are. And if your goal is, say, you want to make $70,000 a year, you want to be able to take the kiddos to Disney World for spring break and a, a ski break in the fall. Well, you know, that's fine. You're probably going to be happy then if you make that 70. But if I'm looking for a salesperson that's going to do 200,000 a year, you, you may be great, but you're not going to get me where I want to go. The same thing. So you, it's like not everybody being George, maybe you don't need all your salespeople to make $200,000 a year because there's different levels of profit and stuff. So if you have like, you know, you say a George superstar that's $200,000 a year, great profit. And then, you know, there is a, you know, steadiness to your business though, if you keep going you know, at this level. So maybe you do, you need two seventy thousand dollars you need a 150, you need a 200. Uh, I love that. I love that. Everybody's not going to be uh, the same and you're not going to get the same result out of everybody. Well, and you? this is why you see a lot of times when people take sales positions, you know, like they give them a, you know, a six month, you know, window, like they pay them a certain amount of commission for six months and then, uh, then they leave. You know, because they didn't ask these things up front. In fact, I have even done things for clients where I have said, you know, old days, you know, you have a stack of resumes and I could flip through those resumes and go, no, 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 no. Look at these three. And they'd say, why? I said, because, you know, they used up their money for the six months and look, 
They were gone at nine months. They were gone at eight months. These aren't people you want to do that. Now, these three, you know, something else is going on why they want to make a change. And so I would consider them. And seldom have I been wrong in that. Right. Well, you know, it, it begs a, a, a different uh, issue. And that is um, uh, a lot of times I hear, gosh, it takes it takes six months or it takes a year for, for a sales rep to be firing on all cylinders at our company. I think that that's a, a bigger problem. Um, it, it almost, I've never had a business that I couldn't have a sales, a new sales rep fully functional and operational death star, if you will, in less than three months, but it all boils down to process and how are we doing this, right? How are we teaching it? How are we how are we following through on it? What tools are we giving them? If 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 it takes six months or nine months or a year for somebody uh, to become productive in sales, I think it's a sales process issue and not necessarily a salesperson issue. What do you think about that? I, I definitely agree with that. And that's where so many people, you know, they don't appreciate what sales is. They don't even consciously understand that it's a process. It's like what you said earlier, you know, they're just born with it. Well, they may be confident. They may be at ease having a conversation with all kinds of people, but there is a process to sales. There's things you have to do in sales. You you know, I do not object to companies offering a draw, you know, like for six months, you know, maybe the first month the person needs one in the fourth month or something. I, I have no objection to it, but the people that know they're coming in and getting their salary and they're going to get this draw for six months and then go somewhere else. I think if people really understood what their process was and also, also, you know, not everybody's process is a sale in six months. You know, there are those things that do take a year or longer. But again, it gets back to interviewing. When you're interviewing somebody, who do they already have relationships with? What kind of sales have they done your particular industry product? Or so? I don't think they have to, but if they have and they have something they can bring to the party right away, then they probably are going to be closer to making that number before, you know, the six months or the year or whatever the sales cycle is. But many people have no idea what their sales cycle is. Yeah, you know, imagine if you will, um, hiring somebody having bad processes, and you've got an 18 month sales cycle. And that's, that's not unusual, right? I mean, right. there are lots of uh, companies out there that have these really, really long sales cycles. And, and working with that sales rep for 18 months to two years, only to have them walk out the door because the, we didn't interview and, and hire them uh, properly. Exactly. We didn't have processes in place. Now you've wasted uh, two whole years of your life trying to get this person up to speed when it was, you could have had the right person in the beginning. And, you uh, know, and they talk about, you know, well, I don't want to use a recruiter. And you and I both know there are brilliant recruiters out there yes. now. And, you know, they don't want to use a recruiter up front because it costs too much money. Yet, if they had invested in somebody who really knew how to interview really understood what you did and got you the right person firsthand, that 18 months, that person would have made you money, not cost you money. But now what you've done, you've hired inappropriately. And so you do, you try, you do whatever for 18 months, everybody goes away mad and you've lost money, not only in sales, but what it costs you, you know, to employ that person, taxes, benefits, whatever. 
Yeah. And, and you've got to replace them again and start Absolutely. the clock all over. And how unfortunately, much, they do the same thing again. That's it. And how much, what's the opportunity cost, right? Yes. You know, what, what have we lost uh, in the meantime? So, so why do uh, people struggle so much with sales, Debbie? You know, I think, uh, and some people struggle not because, you know, they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes, like I can do it kind of thing, but they really don't understand the process of it. They think it is just about talking to people. You know, I'm just going to talk to you and tell you what I have. And because it is the best mousetrap, you will automatically want it. And so the other thing is, is in our society, and I think probably in other places in the world too, you know, there's this uh, stereotype about sales being schmucks or, you know, people that are out to get you and stuff. And so people who aren't that, who want to do sales, but they're always worried about, am I a schmuck? You know, are they thinking I am? Instead of one of the most difficult but most powerful lessons I ever learned. I was in Houston uh, selling. This was my first gig in outside sales, selling into, if you can imagine, the seismic industry who never had women salespeople. So this is dresser industries, the big guy and slumberjay kind of people and all. And I was going along and there was a woman who um I, I wouldn't say like a mentor, but you know how there are people that just advocate for you. They, th- you know, you you may not be able to do this yet, but they think you can, and you know they're cheering you on. And one day she said to me, you know, she said, Deb, the sooner you figure out if you would just be you, this is going to work a whole lot better than you trying to be those guys. And I sort of understood and think because, you know, it's like uh, just like you and I have talked about our families, our cat, you know, those kind of things. And all. Well, what I was doing, I thought the guys only talked about work, you know, like the part numbers, you know, what the engineering department said. And so that's all I did. They would have never known I had a beautiful son and a husband, two beagles, a cat. You know, I mean, I just I didn't do that. And she said, Debbie, you are not being you, let me tell you something. The year that I finally got that, you know, and I talked to my boss about what she said, and he went, she's absolutely right. And so just little by little, I started, and I mean, the floodgates opened, and it was fine. And this is why, again, I'm so passionate today about teaching people to sell the way that they can sell, you know, for other people. I, I am very fortunate in my uh, career to uh, one of my first sales management jobs. I realized that very quickly is that people sell differently. They're going to sell to their strengths uh, and they, but, but you have to let them be themselves. Right. Uh, and um, I hired a, uh, a guy way early in my career. This is, we're talking about probably in the, in the early mid eighties uh, who, <clears throat> had been he was he was an older gentleman basically nearing retirement uh, and had had a very successful sales career uh, and and then was kind of in a slump for a very long time uh, and we hired him into a territory and and I started working with him and when when he started appreciating the direction that I was giving and I started letting him be who he was. Um, he was one of our top sales reps 
who was basically at the end of his career that most people would look at him and say, oh, he'll never sell anything. But it was letting him be authentic about who he was. Uh, I'll, I'll just relay a, a short story. Um, and this was, we learned from one another, right, in, in yeah. our whole process. And we were out in a hospital somewhere in deep eastern North Carolina, out in the middle of nowhere in the sand hills. <laughs> and, and we went in and we had a plan, what we were going to talk about. And I'll tell you, in, in probably 10 minutes of sitting with the head of purchasing for that hospital, I felt like this conversation was going off the rails. And I literally wanted to get up, grab Dick by the back of the neck. Dick's no longer with us. Uh, you know, he passed on several years ago. I wanted to grab him by the back of his neck and drag him out in the parking lot and just beat the hell out of him and say, <laughs> what are you doing? But he kept going and kept going. And then he made a comment, and I, I wish I could remember what it was. But But this head of purchasing at this hospital group opened up like a Christmas present. And suddenly, an hour later, they're buying everything we had to offer. And it was because it was him being authentic uh, and being who he was. And I learned a great lesson that day in people have to be authentic uh, in sales. They they can't be the, um, as you call it, sales schmuck. I'm going to start using that, sales <laughs> schmucks. I love that. And they are out there. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, they are. You know, it's it's the old adage, you know, used car salesman. But I will tell you that one of the very best salespeople I've ever known in my lifetime, a fellow by the name of Jim Palukas, he works for the Sewell Automotive Group. He's been a used car salesman for Sewell Automotive for 25 years. I will never buy another car from somebody else. Why? Because he is really good at his craft. So, so you know, stop using the term used car salespeople. I'm going to start using sales schmuck. I, like I love it. And let me tell you something that's so funny. You say that about Sewell. I have bought from a gentleman, Kevin Bush at Sewell, and I have spoken about him on stages of a hundred people. And you hear people and you see, you know, how when you stand on the stage and look out and you see them and they're just like, oh my God, it's like, Call Kevin Bush. Let me tell you, this man, I don't want to talk about what's under the hood or whatever. I want a white one. I want to pay this much. I want this kind of sound system. And that's what I want. He delivers it to my house. He takes away the old one. He sends the young man with the piece of paper and it has little stickies to sign here. That's how I buy a car. And that's Kevin it. understands that. That's it. That's it. So, so we have to let our salespeople be authentic. So, so I bet you and I could swap stories all day about uh, <laughs> things like that. Sewell is a great company, I love by the way. Story. That's it. You know, unfortunately, many of our listeners are not in the uh, in the DFW area, and they they've never experienced Sewell Automotive. I, I would encourage you to. So on your next car, make a trip to Dallas and yes, buy a car exactly. At you just it's worth it to come to Dallas to buy a car at Sewell. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, so let's get back to uh, kind of sales methods and tracking and that kind of thing. So, is there a good method for forecasting and tracking sales? Well, first of all, the number one thing is to do it. <laughs> that th this is, I, I kid you not, how many people, you know, uh, this is one of the things I start with. Do you have a sales forecast? No. 
So how do you know, how do you know? And so I find, and this is, you know, individual people, large groups, whatever, so many people don't even have a sales forecast. So I shared with you earlier, I started my career at Texas Instruments. You know, what do engineering people love? Numbers. Uh, numbers, numbers. Graphs. Your yeah. graphs. Pictures, yeah, number, oh, spreadsheets, those kind of things. Now, well, at Texas Instruments, they uh, use what they called a rolling forecast. So today is January. So, you know, most people do their forecast January through December. But if we were talking in May, the forecast would begin in May if you didn't have one, but it goes through the next 12 months. And the belief system was that if you, uh, so, you know, what happens to January, then that becomes a report that you have, you can look back on, but the forecast is always 12 months going forward. And uh, there, the, the way they worked was there was no way you could not do it. You know, you had, you know, inside sales, outside sales, you know, you had to do this. Well, so that's how I grew up. Well, the division of TI workforce sold to another company and the TI management went with them. So we continued to do that. Well, later on, I changed. I went to a different company. And so this was something that we did every Monday morning. You know, every, every salesperson, you just were polite and respectful while Tom gave his report, Debbie gave hers, you know, and all. but you knew you had to have it updated. You couldn't just copy and paste from last week. So anyway, so I go to this other company and they don't do anything, nothing. And here I am one because I, I quit because I was mad at the manager at the other company. But there I was, you know, a week later, hiding over at my desk, making my own sales forecast. And what I tell people about that is, you know, today there's a lot of question about forecasting and using software and different things. And there are great ones out there. But this is an exercise that can be done with pencil and paper and a ruler. And it still can today. There is no excuse not to do a forecast. So what I did, and this is the basis for what I do, is when I start working with somebody and they do not have a forecast, I tell them, if we are going to work together, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to create a forecast. And, they, you know, they get all nervous and, oh, we don't have, I, I was like, I don't care if you only have two pieces of business. We are going to set up the format, you know, in a generic format, of course, would be suspect, prospect, leads, proposals, customers, you know, very traditional 12 months out, you know, the next 12 months and let's get to it. And you start filling it in. Well, what happens with that is so thinking about the individual that I might be working with who's never had one, I send them away week one with this template, if you will. And we've been through exactly what to do and, you know, how to do it. But I don't go back to the office with them and do their homework with them. So they show up the next week for the meeting and they have this. Now, I oftentimes ask people, you know, so what are your, you know, what would you like your sales to be this year? And, you know, somebody says, well, I would like them to be a million dollars. I don't care what the number is. That's great. But they go away and they do this forecast and they document everything they really know, including suspects. And they come back and in the bottom grand total right-hand column, it says 3 million. So I say to them, do you wanna do three or one? I'm good either way. And they're just like, Debbie, I had no clue. 
And so then we can be able to create a plan on how we can get that. Or maybe we sort out our suspects and realize they're not exactly the ones we want. We want some other ones. But now we know if we only had 10 more of these other ones that do like this, you know, then we wouldn't need these other 40 that aren't as profitable or aren't, you know, exactly the right criteria. And so I believe that a rolling forecast is the key to success. And I will tell you one thing that just happened last year. So I have taught this to everyone that I have worked with. I even wrote a book because of this, because I just feel like this is the key. And one of the gentlemen, he told me he had a forecast and we kind of went through this and all. And, and basically what he was doing was going, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, you're an adult, you know, so great. You've got it. You've got it. So come back next week. He sends it to me. It is the Texas Instruments deal. It is exactly what I had learned. And I looked at it, you know, he was, we were on a Zoom and it was like, he said, are you okay? I said, I, I have been doing this over 20 years. I have never had anybody that had the forecast, like I'll put, you know, like I said, where did you learn? I did not realize he too had worked at Texas Instruments early in his career. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So his issue wasn't his forecasting, but it was, you know, in helping with other things about sales. But yeah, so most people just simply don't have it. So they don't know where they are. So they don't know what their target is. They don't know uh, what they want. You know, they don't know what they have. You know, they don't really understand what they have and the profitability. So, you know, they, they're just floundering out there and just doing this one thing alone to look at what you know, not what not something you're going to have in six months. But what do you know today? And they realize they know a lot more than they thought they did. And so then they can have targeted activities to begin to make these things happen or let them go. Uh, I love that. You know, you, you can't manage it if you don't measure it, right? I exactly. Mean, that's, that's in our, our old adage. And uh, just a quick side story on how I was able to use that. I, I'm in the same camp. You know, we forecast sales always. And I've even though I've spent most of my career sitting behind the CEO desk of the companies that I've that I've owned and run, um, I I started in sales, right? I started in, and so I developed really great habits uh, back in those early years. And uh, because I was always tracking sales and measuring it and monitoring it and forecasting and that, my forecasts were always good, right? I always knew. And, and at the point where I'd grown a company and we were taking on investors and I needed to report on what we were going to be able to accomplish in the next three and six, nine, 12 months, I knew I could do that uh, because we, we relentlessly tracked that information. I knew to a salesperson, how accurate they could forecast their business. Uh, and so I could apply those metrics, you know, um, uh, just a, a in our key accounts group in my last company, we had three different sales organizations. One was, you would you might call them inside sales. They're the folks that are, um, uh, we called them our customer relationship folks. Uh, they're the ones who were mining existing customers for more business. Right. Um, our, we had our new account guys, which were out there finding new, uh, you know, individual or up to up to twenty five locations that they were bringing. And then we had our key account folks, and and I could tell you in each one of those different groupings how accurate their forecasting was uh, based on you know where we were. You coming into the quarter and. 
and I get a forecast from the key account groups, I knew how to apply a factor and I was going to be within $100 of where they were going to end. Why? Because I measured it and tracked it and paid very close attention uh, to those details. And, and it was okay for me, for them to forecast the way they were, even though it was off and I was applying a different number to it, but I knew I could count on it. I could almost take that money to the bank uh, because I knew how they forecasted and did that. But the only way I could do that was measuring it. So that is great advice. You've got to measure it. We're up on a break. Uh, we're talking with Debbie Morizic. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Like it or not, eventually you'll have to come to a point when it's time for your business to transition. Will you be ready? Will you be able to get the maximum value for your business? Brought to you by Mastery Partners, Mastery Class is a 12-month program designed specifically for business owners. We meet once a month as a group to work through our transition readiness assessment. Expand your business toolbox through leadership presentations, have live interaction with other business owners. This program determines vulnerabilities in your business that will affect business value and your ability to transition in the future. Whether that transition is in two or 15 years, what you do now has long-term effects on the future value of your business. We have the know-how you need to get the results you want in your business to maximize business value. To learn more and secure your spot in the program, visit mbvmasteryclass.com. That's mbvmasteryclass, mastery with a Y, mbvmasteryclass.com. We're back with Debbie Morizic, president of The Sales Company. So Debbie, I was on your uh, LinkedIn company site, The Sales Company company site, and you've got a quote on there that I'm fascinated with that I think will tie to what we were talking about before the break. You don't have to be great to get started, but you do have to get started to be great. That it speaks volumes. Is that yours? Did you lift that from somebody else? Yeah, that's from, um, I don't even remember. It's been like, you know, 30 years ago. And and also there's been various variations of it. You know, even wonderful Zig Ziglar had something like that. But, you know, this really came about because, you know, when you work with people and they're beating themselves up, you know, like they've hired you to be better and yet they're beating themselves up over what they haven't done. And it's like, you know what? We can't do anything about that. But we do have to get started if we are going to be great. So let's get started today. You know, it's like meeting you where you're at versus, you know, well, I'm not working with you until you do this, this, and this. Meet them where they're at, get them started and get going because the momentum builds for them once they see, just like we were talking about before the break at the forecast. You know, and they see those numbers in black and white and Debbie didn't make them up. They're theirs. And it's just like, so how do I do this? How soon can I do this? You know, and we're off to the races. Absolutely. So so it's okay if you've been running a business for 20 years and you haven't been tracking that stuff. But if you want to be great, you have to get started, uh, I think is, is what I'm hearing. So. <laughs> So these are interesting times that we're in. I hear all kinds of things about uh, COVID and, and, uh, and challenges in business. Do you think genuinely that it is possible to grow in 2021? 
I absolutely do. And I think if you look back at American history anyway, our business history, uh, good times or bad times, and I'm talking about even, you know, bad times like World War One, World War Two, you know, where, yes, there were horrible things that were going on, but there were still people who were making money and had businesses. Look at the companies that are 100 years old. How many bad times had they had to go through and, you know, and do this? And one of the things that I say to people is, you know, so how many bad things have you been through in your career? You know, like I, I had 9-11 happen in my career. You know, 85% of my business went away. And it's like, oh my gosh, it's over. But guess what? It wasn't over. We kept at it. We kept working at it, you know, and we continue to grow. And here we are 20 plus years later with other crises going on now, and we're still doing it. So I believe in good times or bad times, you can do business. You may have to adjust. You may have to have a different offering. You know, you may have to uh, change expectations, maybe accept a different profit margin for a year. But I do believe that you can grow during any difficult time. And, you know, in this day and time in 2021, more than probably ever, um, with the advent of all the technology that we have today, the things that people are making be businesses that before nobody would have ever thought that could be a business. So people are being creative. They're, they have an equal footing with a big company in that they've got a technology platform they can work from to get it out to the world. Uh, yes, I'm definitely in belief. And, and, you know, and one of the key things with that is not giving up. And I do, I do understand about giving up in tough times. I do. But, you know, if you don't, you know, reach out, you know, other people, how, you know, how can you work together? Yeah. I, I am 100% on board that you can grow in 2021. Well, I'm like you, uh, my business, I had, I had just bought the, the my last company, um, the technology company in uh, May of uh, 2001. Uh, and uh, it had been largely unprofitable. Um, it was um, a, a very small business, less than a million dollars in revenue. Uh, the, uh, we had a terrible reputation in the marketplace and our, our employees were like the island of misfit toys. And in, and in, uh, in three months, by August, we had actually turned our first profit uh, that the company had seen in, in uh, three years. And then, of course, 11 days later, later the uh, Twin Towers fell, 9-11. And I literally, it didn't sink into me that day, but within a couple of days, I realized our business went to zero uh, overnight. Uh, and, and it would have been very easy to throw in the towel uh, at that point and go, all right, well, this didn't work. I need to go do something else. I'm happy to report that 17 years later, I sold that company, a solid middle market company. We had done 17 additional acquisitions in those years, but it's all about getting the mindset in the right place uh, and being able to go out and do that. So give us give us a magic bullet here. How can you increase sales by 10 to 20% this year? By asking people for referrals. Oh, okay. This is huge. This, this is huge. People have wonderful clients who love them, have experienced a great service, a great product, 
but we do not ask them for referrals. And, you know, why, why don't we? You know, we delivered what we said we were delivering. They say they're happy. They received it. You know, some some companies even do like a survey or a satisfaction kind of thing afterwards. And they say, oh, we love you. It was wonderful. But we don't ask them for referrals. And I'm not talking about it has to be somebody just that you did business with last month. Who have you done business with over the years? In this day and time with the advent of LinkedIn, even if you have somebody that you have not done business with in a couple of years, you can most likely find them. And I'm talking the individual, you know, the person that gave you the purchase order, the person that did the business with you and say to them, so who do you know that might appreciate what we do and how we do it based on your experience with us before? And they go, oh, well, my friend, Mary Smith, you know, it's like, great. Would you make an introduction? Well, again, you know, LinkedIn makes that very easy, but you know, you can, you can do that. This is the number one thing when I go in and work with people, if they need something really quickly, you know, they need a number quickly. It's like, have you asked people for referrals? You know, yeah. no, we never do that. And just doing that, picking up one or two, and, and this is the other thing, you know, when you've had success at doing something, then you're more likely to, you know, to do it again. And so I do, I think that's one of the, to have double digit growth is work with, and again, this is something you already have. This is work you've already done. It's like your own intellectual property and you're not using it to further your company. You're just letting it go. Why? Well, you know, I I think that part of that might be uh, just um, things that we get ingrained in our mind, right? Uh, Things that that prevent us from doing things. I recall way, way early in my career, I got soured on, on asking people for referrals because I had had a guy trying to sell me something and, and he was not successful. um, And we wound up buying from somebody else and he immediately asked me for referrals. And I thought, why in the hell would I refer you to somebody uh, if I didn't buy your product in the first place? And it, and, and that, instantly triggered in my mind, don't ask for referrals because asking for referrals is bad. Uh, but that's not true, right? Um, right. It's You're talking about going out to the folks who know you, already like you, do business with you, uh, and, and asking them in a, a genuine and polite way because people want to help the people that, um, that they work with, right? Absolutely. And they do want to help you. They don't want to feed you. They want to help you, but we don't ask. Yeah, that's that's a shame. That's uh, there's your magic bullet, folks. You know, you want to increase <laughs> your sales uh, ten to twenty percent this year. You heard it here first from Debbie Morizing, <laughs> but you heard it on the Maximize Business Value podcast. Um, so we hear that that uh, also talks a lot about networking, right? And and people talk about networking. Are there good places to network to grow sales? I know you're you're a great networker like I am, but are are there places that that people should go network to grow their sales? Absolutely. So you started the podcast by sharing with them how we knew each other through Business Pros. So Business Pros is an organization of professionals where we all do different things and we work together to learn new things, to help one another, to do referrals. This is a great form of networking and I think everyone should have a group like this. But what industry do you serve? you should be going to their events, 
that's where your customers are. They are the ones that are going to buy from you. And yet what I find is most people do not go network there. And I use the example of myself. This is years ago. Abbott Laboratories here in Irving, Texas was my client. And one of our buyers was on the board for the national, it was called the National Association of Purchasing Managers at that time. And I did a lot of business in California. And he said, you know, we're having our conference out there. You know, why, why don't you come be with us? And I did. I bought my own ticket and I went. And what I was really looking for is because I lived in Texas, lived in Dallas, but I did business all over the place. And I thought, you know, I probably really do need to learn better what purchasing managers in other areas, what are they looking at? What's important to them? You know, those kinds of things. Well, while I was there, he ran into me in the hall. And he said, hey, girl, he said, I just thought about we're doing a panel this afternoon, you know, like how purchasing managers can work with vendors and stuff. Would you be on that panel? And I said, absolutely. Well, for years, I went to that conference. And let me assure you, I was the only salesperson at that conference. And I met buyers from all over. And that's where I got the idea about going then. So now you will see me like at cybersecurity conferences or, you know, um, uh, I had a client that was doing retail, you know, like retail conferences, those kind of things. And looking at what are they saying? And I am intentional when I'm there about talking to other people. Like, you're not my customer. So tell me, how do you buy? You know, what what annoys you about salespeople in your you know, your business? What do you wish they did differently? I also like every year I speak at a conference called um, Project Management International. And these are project managers, but they work at these corporations. And the way the world works today, many departments have to work with salespeople, you know? So what are you seeing? What do they do? What makes you crazy? What do you love or like even, you know, kind of thing? So I think we should network outside of what is our our normal circle. I think we should definitely network there, but we should go where our customers are. Brilliant. Brilliant. I I love that. Um, uh, I do a lot of work in the technology space as well. Uh, I was a known quantity. I, I owned a company in the space, got very involved in the uh, in the trade association. I, I actually write articles for their magazine. I, I uh, post information on their website, uh, but that is a great place to network. And by the way, uh, when people are looking for the services that we provide uh, and they're a part of that organization, who do you think gets their business? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I've had people like, just like I mentioned the one, you know, where they asked me that panel. But since then, I have been intentional when I go to like their trade association thing. Now I'm talking about months and months before the conference actually happens, but call the person who's in charge of programming for that conference and saying, you know what, do you do breakout sessions this year? You know, is there any place, you know, I could like the Project Management International, the very first time I spoke for them, they asked me to speak on negotiating. I said, are you kidding? They said, well, can't you do it? I went, yes, I can do it. But and so they talked to me about what these project managers were having to negotiate. And they thought a salesperson would be great to teach them. My session was four o'clock on Friday afternoon, packed. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it is like, so there I was in front of all these different companies 
you know, with people that affect who they're going to buy from in the procurement department. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'll, and I'll be willing to bet when you did that uh, over the years, you you probably could measure the amount of business that you got I as a result of that. absolutely can. <laughs> And I am grateful every time. <laughs> That's brilliant. So, uh, so uh, before we kind of get into our wrap up questions here, who in uh, in in the company, who in the company should be doing sales? Oh, that is such a great question. So, uh, when it's a small company and it's maybe the owner. You know, the owner thinks, you know, that they're not the salesperson. But the truth is, there's nobody that cares about the product, the service, the initiative, no one more than the owner. Nobody can, they they eat, sleep and drink it. So they are, whether they like it or not, they are the best people to sell it. One of the things in small companies, what I see is people hiring, you know, their brother-in-law, their cousin, somebody that says they do sales. And not that that person maybe couldn't sell something, but they don't have the same interest. You know, you're just trying to push it off. You said you could do sales, you do it. And then they lose it you know, kind of thing. So they are. And in uh, other companies, one of the things that I say is we are all in sales. So, you know, for example, you know, if you have just thinking of a technology company, you have an engineering department, you know, your engineers, you know, they, they, this is one of the things I say, they collect a paycheck on the first and the 15th. Everybody does, you know, if you're working in a bigger company. And so how do you get that money into your company? Well, if you don't sell anything, you don't have any money coming in. So everybody is in sales. So what can the engineers do to help their own salespeople be able to be better. And I use the example of Siemens Corporation. This happened many years ago. The CEO was crazed over, you know, their place in the market on a particular division. And the engineering department, not the sales department, the engineering department director hired me to come work with the engineers to teach them how they could work better with the salespeople because they had the technology, the salespeople had the sales skills and you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. So I went, worked with the engineering department and I, I mean, this was even some things that are so simple, like you need to have a clean tie. You know, you need to have socks that match. You know, I mean, the 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 guy who was the head of it, he said, Debbie, you know, engineers and, and, you know, really, we have to do those basic things. And he said, I just don't feel like I can stand in front of them and talk about socks. And he said, I think you can. I said, I can. So but what happened was we did not tell the sales department that the, the head of the sales department knew, but none of the salespeople. So the engineering departments work with us and then we send them out. Well, the first time one of them is at the airport, dressed, ready to go, meeting him in Chicago where they're supposed to be. And the salesman gets off the plane because he's already been complaining about the guy and gets off the plane and sees him. And the guy's like, great, here's what I have, you know, based on what you told me we were going to talk about. We're going to have this. He looks like a million bucks and the salesperson's going well, okay, we've got a rent car, it hurts, and they go. Well, this went on for like two weeks because these people had to travel. They, their engineering group was in one city, but they traveled. And so the sales 
head invited the vice president head to come sit in on the meeting. And evidently he did that from time to time. And so while he was there, the sales guy started, you know, running the meeting as normal, you know, how was your week? What happened? And, and this guy goes, you know what? I was in Chicago and Ralph was waiting for me at the airport and his clothes looked nice. And he had the dossier off you know, already typed and, and had a copy for me. And, you know, it was just like, I don't know what, you know, Ralph had an awakening. Well, then somebody else at the table goes, well, you know, Mildred met me, and, you know, and it was just all of this. And, and so then the, the sales guy started messing with him and going, anybody else, anybody else, anybody else? And then you just stood back and looked at him and said, y'all have been had said the engineering department went out and hired a sales coach to figure out how to work with you. The only way we're going to make this number the CEO wants us to make this year is if we work together. So I believe everybody is in sales, whether customer service. I was doing some work recently uh, with a group that they, for the state of Texas, uh, they have long-term assistance facilities. These are management kind of people. And of course, you know, there's sales involved with that. You have to have people in your beds, you know, kind of thing. And I was sharing with them, even the people who are, you know, the nurses, you know, the staff, you know, they know people in their community that are going to need long-term care. They need to be talking about it. Everyone can be part of this. Yeah. I, I love that. I, I, that's one of my mantras that everybody is in sales. Um, as, as I uh, frequently say, nothing, nothing happens in any of my businesses, in any business, until somebody sells something. Sells something. Yes. That's when the work begins. Uh, and, and I used to have a saying for folks that would throw up roadblocks uh, to <laughs> to uh, growth and, and selling, I would call them the director of sales prevention. Uh, and they knew exactly what I was talking about. Yes. Let's knock down all the barriers. Everybody is in sales. So uh, what sets the sales uh, company apart from other sales consultants? Why would our audience want to engage with you, Debbie? A couple of reasons. One, I think, is the actual experience that I had actually doing sales. Not that, you know, I'm still selling today. I have to sell consulting services. Selling yourself was the hardest thing I ever had to learn. But, you know, that I actually had that experience. And like I said earlier, you know, both from customer service, inside sales, outside sales. But today, like I said, 20 plus years later, working with all these companies, uh, working in all different industries. And you mentioned, you know, I work with the Goldman Sachs program. I have worked with over 500 companies in the last six years. Now, these are, uh, you know, small, less than 20 million, you know, 25 million size companies, but still 500 different companies that are all from different things. So I think the expertise and the experience that I bring to it because of what I've done personally doing sales, but then also continuing on with all these people all these years that, you know, I have learned volumes that I'm able to, you know, even though something I might suggest to you was something I learned in a completely different industry, but you would have never thought about it, you know, and you try it and it works, you know, so it's like, you know, we have lots of arrows in our quiver. I love that. I love that. So, 
Uh, and by the way, you brought up again the the uh, Goldman Sachs uh, 10,000 Small Businesses. It is a spectacular program. I have uh, been a guest speaker uh, frequently uh, for them, and it is worth uh, small businesses investigating uh, and getting uh, the kind of help there uh, that you can get. Uh, that's wonderful that you're a part of that. Thank okay. you. So one last business question. This podcast is all about maximizing business value. What's the one most important thing you recommend business owners do to build value in their business? So, you know, in sales specifically, many people have heard the ABCs of sales is to always be closing. You know, that's the ABCs ABCs of sales. What I really believe the ABCs of sales is to always be caring. So if you own a business and you genuinely, I'm talking about genuinely, care about what you do, what you're producing, it's quality, it's the best, you care about your people and you care about your customers, I think that is the greatest value you can bring that will pay you dividends year in, year out for however long you want to do it. Awesome. I, that is solid advice. And I will add to that, that, uh, that um, if you do that and you are able to successfully leverage that and grow your business, a growing business is always more valuable uh, than a business that is flat or declining. Uh, hands down, that's one of the biggest things that buyers look for in a business that will improve the value. And that starts with caring. I love that. Always be caring. Uh, we're we're going to have a sales competition. The second place is steak knives, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can hear Alec Baldwin right now. Saying yes, that. exactly. A, what, oh my gosh. What a, what a great movie. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yes. And it's been that. my example for years because it just, it, it is it. it it's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that it's one of my favorite movies of all time. So, uh, so now, however, I can't let you off the hook. Everybody who listens to our podcast regularly knows that I always ask a bonus question, uh, and they and they stay tuned all the way to this point because they <laughs> want to know the answer to this, Debbie. And so, what personality trait has gotten you into the most trouble over the years? Oh, this is a fun one. Trust. When I started, I, I did not really understand that you couldn't trust people. You know, I was naive. I didn't know I hadn't been around people that didn't tell the truth or so I thought. And so I was so trusting. And yet, once I figured that out, how, you know, people can be, it's actually both. It's the thing that's caused me the most heartache. But it's also the thing that trusting has probably made me the most money. Oh, I like so that. So it's been a double-edged sword understanding how it works. Yes, I, believe me, I know. I, I am, like you, a very trusting person. I trust everybody until they give me a reason not to. And then earning that trust back is, um, you, you might as well try to boil the ocean. Absolutely. When I was early on in my career, I don't know if you remember the company Compact Computer. Mm, And these guys uh, had started at Texas Instruments and they started this company. And so I was working, I was providing them with like samples of semiconductors and things. And I tell you, I stood up every week in my sales meeting and told my boss, I know 
they are going to do this. I trust them. You know, this is who works there. This is what they do at all. And he was just like, you know, if you don't, I'm going to fire you, you know, kind of thing and all. And let me tell you, it, it took, you know, several months before it all came together, but it was, it, it was probably my most powerful lesson. Like, you know, I knew these people, I trusted them. They were giving me information that I did trust, even though it didn't make sense to my boss, but it was like, I stuck to my guns and he's gone now, but he always told the story better than me in the end. Yeah. That's fun. That's great. So how can our viewers and listeners get in touch with you, Debbie? Uh, the best way, just uh, go to LinkedIn, Debbie Marizek, M-R-A-Z-E-K, or go to my website, the-sales-company.com. Thank you. Thank you for being our guest. Thank this you and your listeners. I'm delighted to have been with you. What a, what a fun time. So you can find Debbie at the-sales-company.com or on LinkedIn. And of course, you can always reach out to me and I will be happy to make a warm introduction to my good friend, Debbie Marizek. This is the Maximize Business Value podcast, where we give practical advice to business owners on how to build long-term sustainable value in your business. Be sure to tune in each week and follow us wherever you found this podcast and be sure to comment. We love comments and I promise we respond to all of them. So until next time, I'm Tom Bronson reminding you to develop a great growth strategy while you maximize business value. into the Maximize Business Value podcast with Tom Bronson. This podcast is brought to you by Mastery Partners, where our mission is to equip business owners to maximize business value so they can transition on their terms. Learn more on how to build long-term sustainable business value and get free value-building tools by visiting our website, www.masterypartners.com. That's master with a Y, masterypartners.com. Check it out. any changes on that.